Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and here on the show, we take a look at what is going on within the energy industry, looking at um, geopolitical events that are really driving uh, forces throughout the whole industry, what's driving energy markets, so we're going to get into a lot of that, as well as the energy transition. Um, so big things coming across the news this this week um, and over the weekend is we're seeing a lot of news and stories, uh, I guess chatter you could also say, about supply deficits uh, coming in um, pretty substantial. Uh, natural gas prices uh, keep on going up, oil prices staying pretty solid. Uh, also, what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, that's really the biggest uh biggest event you could say across the world at the moment Uh, i know that there was a u.n security council meeting i believe it was on monday Um, i know some tensions flared there so things aren't looking too great over there uh in in the eastern Bloc. you could say uh i know that i touched on last week about how um president vladimir putin is could possibly use their natural gas supply that supplies a lot of European uh, energy needs. And those pipelines run through that area. I know they have a pipeline in Ukraine, um, Belarus. I know there's a few others over there. It's a really kind of a big story to keep in mind. I won't talk too, too much about that um, today. But looking at some prices, uh, we have WTI, West Texas Intermediate, the U.S.'s main gauge for oil, and that's trading at $87 per bar- barrel right now. Um, we've yet to break that 90 territory this week. Um, it'll be kind of a big deal whenever that happens. Really, anytime you move past uh, another $10 mark, so through 90 will be a very, very big deal. Um, we haven't seen those kinds of prices in a very long time, and really quite a turnaround from you know April 2020, where oil prices touched negative and energy companies and the, and the whole sector really got crushed. So really interesting uh, has it's been interesting to see that happen. Um, that's right around the time where I really started to pay attention to what's going on. Um, so natural gas prices coming in at $5 and 30 cents at the moment. Uh, those, uh, we had the biggest one day spike in natural gas prices. I believe it was last week. Um, so something to kind of keep in mind there. A lot of that has to do with the supply being low uh, demand being high. We were having a cold front coming at the moment. It's actually supposed to snow tomorrow as well uh, here in College Station, which uh, doesn't happen too often. Last time it snowed was the Great Texas Freeze, which uh, I'm sure plenty of people remember all too well. So looking at the energy sector, uh, S&P energy sector across the board, comparing it to the S&P. So the energy sector is up 23% this year compared to the S&P being down around 3%. Um, really Things that are going on within the broader market, a lot of inflation is happening. Um, We're seeing employment um, still staying tight, labor, the whole labor um, shortage, um, supply chain disruptions, those kinds of things are really driving the market. And a lot of um, those high-flying tech companies um, are down quite a bit this year, and a lot of their market share really pools the S&P um, and markets overall in one way or another, as well as the, Na- <clears throat> as well as the NASDAQ. Um, so we've also seen throughout 2021 and 2022, energy stocks really just 
taking off. We've seen about mid-double-digit returns there. Um, so quite the turnaround again from that 2020 time frame. And a lot of that really just has to do with energy making a comeback, um, companies being having more capital discipline, all of those things. So looking more specifically at what's going on on the supply side, um, it's really been um, a tough uh, readings for the past few weeks on where crude oil inventories are at. They're really running quite low. Um, I looked at one report from the IEA, um, big international energy body, uh, you can call it. So basically between last year and this year for what they were trying to sort of predict on where supply would be at and the deficit between that has been about 200 million barrels. So very, very significant. So there's the difference between what they expected and what's actually happening and then also demand. Um, so there's really been a lot of underestimations occurring across the market this whole year. Um, and especially towards the end of last year as we saw the Omicron variant um, rear its head and many thought that lockdowns would come in place and all of those things, that would, that, which is what really drove down um, energy demand early on in the pandemic. So a lot of people thought that stuff was coming back. And I read an article this week and it talked about how governments across the world are just are sort of being becoming okay with cases being higher. So all that to say is that it's sort of, uh, you know, quote, new normal or um, we're learning to live with it and live with COVID and any other variants that come in the future. So I don't really expect more lockdowns like we used to have to really happen. And by order of that, I don't think that there will be much crushing of uh, energy demand across the board. Um, looking at the EIA, um, the Energy Information Agency here in the U.S., um, they reported a decrease of 1 million barrels per day. Um, in their most recent um, crude supply reading. Um, and this is pretty significant because not only is it 9% below the five-year average, um, we're entering kind of a cold stretch at the moment, um, but also you put this on top of every other um, sort of supply constraint that's been happening lately. Oil companies are not producing like they used to before COVID. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit more later, but a lot of that has to do with... Um, the traditional thinking of oil and gas companies sort of in the mid-2010 time frame was trying to produce as much oil and find as much reserves as possible, taking on a lot of debt. Um, and when a lot of the debt came due, um, either companies went bankrupt or their share prices lagged, um, meaning that a lot of investors said, I don't want to invest in energy companies anymore. I'm going to put my money um, and you could say a tech company, which had very substantial returns over that time frame. But now they're wanting to show that they are going to be disciplined with their capital. They're not going to produce as much as they possibly produce at will, is what some people say. Um, but at the same time, because that's been a trend over the past couple of years, um, that's really leading to a lot of this um, supply constraint while demand is really still taking off. And I've seen reports that it's even above where it was pre-COVID or at least getting there. Uh, additionally, looking at over at OPEC, um, very important to, to look at what OPEC is doing 
um, they really drive a lot of news and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, conversations around the energy industry. So OPEC, they set a goal, um, I don't, ha- however many months back, of increasing production every month, having additional barrels of oil of 400,000. So they wanted to have 400,000 extra barrels of oil of what they're producing at the time. Um, and they've continuously fallen short of that, um, which again, doesn't really feed well into this whole uh, narrative about supply being very low. Um, and also this past week, they had a meeting to discuss whether they wanted to stick to this quota, either raise it, which many people either wanted them to, um, or were expecting them to. And it was actually their shortest meeting ever. So I read that it was only 16 minutes long. And for a meeting of a bunch of countries that have a lot of uh, a lot of their economies are based off of how much oil that they can produce. A lot of them are really funded by revenues that they can make from that. For that meeting to only last 16 minutes, I mean, some classes, I mean, I've never had a class that lasted only 16 minutes, just for an example. So all of that to say, um, the idea of oil going over $100 per barrel is really becoming a strong possibility. Uh, that's not necessarily a good thing, I would say, especially as you have, are seeing inflation concerns um, and having uh, oil be at a high price. It's going to cause problems for consumers, whether that be the gas that you put into your car or all of the other products um, that either businesses use, um, heating your home with natural gas, all of those things. It doesn't really, it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, and really, I don't want to see oil companies starting to uh, produce as much as they can, which would be hard because, again, if they can produce more, they're going to make a lot more money because of where oil prices are at right now. So just kind of something to keep in mind. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. I think a lot of investors are watching. Um, I know it's been interesting for me to watch. Um, And one thing I want to know on this whole um, supply constraint at the moment is that a lot of push by either governments or advocacy groups has been to try and make oil and gas companies produce less oil um, to basically have less of their products out there. That way consumers use less of it, um, such as driving cars, um, boats, all of those things um, to steer off Uh, climate change and reduce greenhouse gases, which is a fair point to make. But at the same time, um, a lot, all of our world, all of our lives are really dependent on oil and its byproducts. Not a lot of people really understand that or realize that. Um, So in order to make it to the other side of the energy transition, I really feel that we need to, um, I guess, not try and punish oil companies for producing oil that everybody is still buying. Um, there's something to be said, of course, about about the timetable of when, how long, and when the energy transition will, will take place. I mean, it's certainly taking place at the moment. Um, a lot of these oil and gas companies have initiatives and they have separate groups. I know that Exxon recently moved its headquarters to Houston. Um, and they're going to have three business lines, and one of them is being uh, developing uh, like low carbon technologies, and having that be a main business line going forward is really a big step for such a traditional oil and gas company. So the change is happening, 
but it's just not happening at quite the speed I think that people expected it to. And I personally did not expect, you know, things to to flip a switch and then all of a sudden we have a, a green energy, um, low carbon world. It's going to take some time. Um, estimates range all across the board. Um, you have a lot of companies and even oil and gas companies pledging to be net zero by 2050. Um which is certainly a goal. I would say that it would be better to have goals that are set a little bit closer um, to really keep either management of companies more accountable. So if you set a goal for 2025 or 2030, that's much more. They're probably still going to be in the role by the time we get there. Um, and that's much more likely to be able to achieve smaller goals instead of saying, hey, by 2050, you know, a long, long time from now, it feels like um, we're going to be net zero. So having more intermediate goals will be, will be better. But again, a lot of this is happening. A lot of these, these supply um, issues are occurring is because investors and, and people and advocates alike are, are trying to get oil companies to produce less, um, ultimately resulting in this, these supply shortages. When um, in reality, I think we need to all work together and let the market really um, drive that energy transition. I think that'll be the best way going forward. So enough of that. I want to get into some news stories that I found interesting over this past week uh, and talk about their what they mean, um, sort of what kind of it's pushing in the market, that kind of thing. Um, so one of the really interesting ones that I saw, I actually talked about it in one of my classes as well was the Biden administration has designated Qatar a non-NATO ally. So for people that don't know where Qatar is, Qatar is over in the Middle East. They're part of OPEC, very major uh, oil-producing country. Um, and really what this stemmed from, from at least how I read it, was that Europe is going through this energy crisis, natural gas crisis. I'm sure people are tired of me talking about that. But at the same time, what the Biden administration is trying to do is they're trying to go scatter across the world and try and secure natural gas um, for Europe in, in the case of either continued um, shortages or also complete shutdown of Russian natural gas to Europe. So they're designated NATO, um, uh, uh, Qatar, a non-NATO ally, um, and which is kind of, which is, I think it's a pretty big deal, um, really to try and assure those resources for Europe, which is really interesting to see how in real time how the Biden administration is reacting to this because, again, people need to heat their homes. They need to be able to use their stoves, drive cars, all of those things. Um, so they're trying to, to secure this these resources from Qatar. Um, just really interesting. Another point on that is that Qatar uh, actually hosted, I read, around 60,000 uh, Afghan um, migrants during the, um, the, the whole um, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, I, th- I believe there's about 2,000 people from Afghanistan still there. Um, so just kind of interesting how to see all, all of this kind of come together. And I also read that Qatar is still waiting on uh, drones from the U.S. to to send over there. So I wonder maybe if we get those drones over there, if, if we can secure some of this natural gas for Europe. And one thing I'll note about the about Russia possibly um, stopping flow of natural gas to Europe, 
Um, I read that um, Gazprom, the uh, G-A-Z-P-R-O-M, Gazprom, uh, would actually lose about $200 million a day from um, not sending natural gas over to Europe. So just kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't know any companies that can really withstand losing that amount of money. Um, it might be a little more or a little less. don't remember the exact figure, but the reputational risk for Gazprom and for Russia would really be quite massive if they did that. And the financial loss would be tough. And also how many countries would be willing to establish long-term contracts for to secure energy supplies from Russia if this was to happen. So Something interesting there. Um, another article that I found um, on oilprice.com, and the last one I found on the Wall Street Journal, but this one is from oilprice.com. Great resource if you're ever looking to check out some energy news. They have everything you can think of, more than you would ever need to read in a day or, or really for a while. Um, so the article was titled, Big Oil Quietly Exploring for More Crude. Um, and this is really interesting to me because I hadn't really heard of too many big discoveries as of late. Um, I know there's a few. Exxon is, is making a lot of discoveries. You know, Shell is making some discoveries too. Um, but they're not publicizing it, which is interesting because if you listen um, to management talk from uh, oil and gas companies, you don't really hear a lot of talk about exploration. You hear a lot more talk about energy transition um, and new fuel sources, which is very fair because that's what investors want to hear, um, which I don't put any blame on anybody for talking about that. It's just really interesting that they are still exploring quite a bit for crude oil as well as natural gas, um, but not really publicizing it because, again, emphasizing that you're exploring for not for new resources isn't quite what sells these days, which is just really interesting to see. Um, but again, we're going to need oil um, and its byproducts for a long, long time. So I'm very, very happy that this is still going on. Just not something that I've seen a lot of. So it was just really interesting to see. Uh, other big news story this week, um, it's earnings season. Earnings season is when um, a lot of companies wrap up their last year's results and end up reporting them to the public. Um, it's really big, big week or two. Uh, in the markets, um, and Exxon actually reported earnings yesterday, um, and they reported their highest profit um, for the full year 2021 um, since 2014. And if anybody remembers 2014, I know I was not following the market in 2014, um, but that's whenever oil prices were over $100 per barrel. So right now, again, WTI is at $87 per barrel, and they actually reported $23 billion of earnings for the full year 2021, which is quite substantial. Um, Chevron also reported earnings this week. Um, they came in at $15.6 billion for 2021, which is expected because, again, Exxon, bigger company than Chevron, um, so just something to note there. Um, but that was also their highest reported earnings since 2014. Uh, on top of Exxon reporting earnings, if this was five, six, seven years ago, um, I'm sure that a lot of talk would be uh, centered around putting money back into um, exploration activities. But that wasn't really the talk of, of this earnings report for Exxon. They talked a lot about they raised their dividend um, to 6%. 
Um, and they're increasing share buybacks by $5 billion. And buybacks raise the price of the stock because they're buying back um, shares off the market, lowering supply with demand either staying the same or increasing, meaning that the share price is naturally going to rise because of that. Um, they're also um, expected to reduce CapEx through 2022 by 26% lower than their prior plans. So this really fits within that same narrative of, of not wanting to either publicize um, having a lot more CapEx, so capital expenditures, trying to produce more um, oil. Um, so they're trying to win investors back and by saying, that, hey, we are going to be uh, disciplined with our capital and all of those things. So there's really still a new era um, amongst oil and gas companies. And again, something to keep in mind is that the, the energy playing field is not equal across all countries. We still have countries that are trying to even have electricity for all of their people and have clean um, running electricity, uh, stable uh, as well as com uh, countries you know, such as India still making their way to that reality that the U.S. and other, other major countries already have um, of energy security and all of those things. So just something to keep in mind as we think about this energy transition uh, discussion. And I'm really excited about all of these things that I talked about. I mean, of course, I'm not really excited that there's supply shortages. Don't get me wrong. But um, this new kind of era from U.S. oil and gas companies and governments is just going to be really interesting to watch going forward. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's show. Um, hope I didn't get too lost in the weeds on, on some of those things. I'm going to put a bunch of articles that I discussed on today's show in the show notes. So feel free to check them out um, if you would like. And as always, I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and I hope you have a great week.